Good morning. It's good to see you. Can I say ha uh, Merry Christmas? Is it too early? Merry because Christmas is a time of joy. Joy because of what we realize the Lord has done for us in Jesus Christ. So I always think it's especially fitting to say Merry Christmas. I was thinking this morning and thinking again even as we sang this service uh, but it started in the first service I was thinking about how <clears throat> everything that happens when we either drive onto or step onto uh, the, our, our campus as Grace Community Church everything everything that happens between you and someone else, or me and someone else, or all of us together, or some of us in groups, when we're singing, when we're greeting, when we're listening, when we're talking, it all happens through words. Just imagine. <laughs> All that we're taking for granted that we do sometimes rather routinely, it all happens through words. The world is filled with words. Conversation, music, television, movies, books, signs, Words are everywhere. Have you ever pondered how many words you have heard and read in your lifetime? It hurts to even begin to imagine. It fascinated me this week to imagine all those words. And more important than words are the messages, the beliefs and opinions, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all heaped and piled together. Can you imagine if you could harness all of those words and their messages? I hope you'll think about that a little this week because it takes some time to imagine how big that mountain of words would be. No matter what size the type you choose, it would be a mountain. I've heard with my ears and seen with my eyes so many words in my lifetime. Wise ones, silly ones, short ones, long ones, words of every kind from sports to science, words I understood and words I didn't, words from people living and words from people dead, words of every rank and nation from kings to criminals, from presidents, prophets, and philosophers to singers, athletes, activists, and actors. I've heard a lot of words, and you have too. 
And of all those words, and of all those messages, none of them are more extraordinary than are these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If we step from just word to word, climb from word to word like a ladder or stones across a brook, can there be any greater love than the love of God? Any greater degree of love than so loved? Can there be any greater number than the world to those of the world? Can there be any greater act than he gave? Any greater invitation than that whoever? Any greater simplicity than believes? Any greater person than in him? Any greater deliverance than shall not perish? Any greater difference than but? Any greater certainty than have? Any greater possession than eternal life? But these words, majestic as they are, they're just words, and they remain just words unless we believe in the Son to know God's great love and God's new life. That's what this verse, that's what these words, that's the message of what we know as John 3.16. Believe in the Son to know God's great love and new life. There's no way that we can exhaust the majesty I spent so much time contemplating this verse this week, these words this week, the message this week. Um, without exaggeration, it, I, I almost collapsed, uh, so to speak, <clears throat> under the, the gravity, the majesty, and the dimension of what God is communicating to us in these words, communicating to me. And the burden of saying, how do I try to say something that will make the same impact or God's impact 
or veil his impact through his spirit on you, through these words, that his message might become his message to you and his words from his heart to yours. I chose to focus on three words, love, believe, and life. For in these words, I think we can see the importance of what Jesus is to the message of God's love and new life. For love shapes what we think about God and His gift at Christmas. You've got to step back a little bit and imagine all the ways that we could think about God. But of all those ways, we're to think of God and His love. The reason we're told here is that God sent His Son because He loves us. Because He loves not only us, those of you within the reach of my voice, but He loves the entire world. And the thought is not that the world is so vast that it takes a great deal of love to embrace it, but rather that the world has become so alienated from God that it takes an exceedingly great kind of love, a love the world has never met, except in Jesus Christ. It's that kind of love that's expressed here, that kind of love that is addressed to, that reaches an alienated world, a people estranged and distant from God. And in this verse, in these words themselves, we encounter the qualities of that love. It's unconditional love. It's expressed, that unconditionality that it's not something you've merited or that you're worthy of. That unconditional quality is expressed in the words, so loved. It's at his initiative. And it's natural that even if you didn't know God through Jesus Christ, and you heard these words for the very first time, and you entertain the idea that God loves you, so loves you, if you were to entertain them seriously, even give them a sense of response, of credibility, and authenticity, it would cause you to think, what have I done to deserve that? Unconditional love, so loved. 
and sacrificial. He gave. He gave. He provided. He offered. We didn't earn or warrant. And valuable. We see that in the words, his only. Not out of his many, his only. That's value. And personal. Not out of somebody else's, not of someone else's, his son. Those are all the qualities that characterize the love of God for you. Unconditional, sacrificial, valuable, and personal. When we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we are celebrating that kind of love that is expressed to us in the birth of his Son. Unconditional, sacrificial, valuable, and personal. The word in the Greek language that the Christians virtually coined, certainly rebranded, is the word agape. It was a word without much pedigree, a word without much attention. hardly used before the New Testament. And if you think for just a moment, historically, someone coming to the knowledge of God's love through Jesus Christ, either through his own witness and encounter with him or his first believers, love, the love of God, becomes so important that in the New Testament it just explodes in use. And across the pages of the New Testament today, that word agape, that word to describe his unconditional, sacrificial, valuable, and personal love characterizes God's position and stance toward you in Jesus Christ. God shows his love. God shows. He proves, in other words. He demonstrates his love for us, said Paul, in that while we were sinners, Christ gave his life, died for us. Romans 5.8. Unconditional, sacrificial, valuable, and personal it's almost unbelievable until that is you believe in Jesus Christ and you realize that in him is the message of his birth, his incarnation, God becoming flesh, very God, very man, to identify so much with us as to express God's heart toward us, toward an alienated and estranged world. 
He became a man. His ministry to his people. And with purpose, intent, and deliberate design, he went to the cross to demonstrate the depths of God's love. God's love was not mass manufactured. His love was personal and presented in a way to show the lengths and depths of his love and to say, you are worth my one and only son. You are that valuable to me. My love for you is that personal. My love is that unconditional. Some of you have heard these things so much, it's like we're waterproof to the power and the penetrating profundity of what God is saying to us about who He is and His disposition toward us in Jesus Christ. And to know that we could never pay the debt that we owe to His holiness as our Creator, as our Maker, for our disinterest, for our disregard, for our disapproval, for our rebellion toward Him. Love shapes what we think about God and His gift at Christmas. Because for those who believe in Him, in His Son, the demonstration of His love, that love becomes a life-changing power, a life-changing force. It's more than a word. It's more than a message. It becomes life-changing. There's another word here, believe. Believe recalls what we do about God and His gift this Christmas. If you can remember a time when you didn't believe, maybe you didn't even know this message had never heard these words. We who believe forget how strange and foreign, how distant, how mysterious, how scary, even untouchable were our ideas about God. Thoughts of God were not answers, but questions, questions of character, questions of God's existence. Even though as a child, I was told about God. I memorized John 3.16 in the King James Version. I walked away from it all in my adolescence 
in my rebellion. I never took those words to heart. I knew in my head maybe I didn't have the capacity to fathom, maybe I didn't have the breadth of life to appreciate the value of that message and those words that illuminated me and my heart to what God had done for me in the person of Jesus Christ. And I walked away. And I can remember questioning God, wrestling with God, entertaining all expressions of God, religions as different expressions of God, in an effort to pin down even if there was a God. And I can remember the questions weighing me down, the questions in the face of the darkness of this world and also the light of this world. Sometimes I felt as though I was going to collapse under the questions, so disenchanting and despairing were the questions without clear answers. Because when you look for those answers and you pose those questions to the observable world from its intricate creation and breathless beauty to its sweeping forces and convulsions of power in nature, not to mention its human wonders and horrors, Look one way, and we glimpse a God glorious and benevolent. Did you see the mountains this morning? Look another, and God seems nowhere to be seen. Those answers are in the sun, we're told. They're in the sun. Never forget, the world to which God gave His Son was ever as dark as ours is today. Dark with terrorism, senseless killings, bigotry and racism, political corruption, and partisan upheaval. Dark with despots, and genocides, dark with drought and floods, dark with earthquakes and tsunamis, diseases and plagues, our horrors were their horrors. And yet, into that dark world and into ours today comes this word bearing this message. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal, everlasting life, God's life. 
God loved the world and his son with a love of the kind that could only conquer its alienation through love, love unto death for its rejection and its sin. And yet those words, whoever, whoever, there's the strategy. Wouldn't be your strategy, wouldn't be my strategy. It wouldn't. Whoever. That's the strategy each and every day. Because it calls for belief. Not a head belief, but a heart belief. It calls for an active believing in the Son. And that can only be done. Well, since I'm talking, and I hope you understand what I mean by what I'm about to say, I can only do that. I can't make you do that. I can't make anyone do that. Only I can do that. The world yet scoffs. Rejection of Jesus turns to judgment of God. In John 3, 17, 18, 19, and 20, 17 echoes in many ways. It's a, a tandem of verse 16. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned. But whoever does believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light is come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Our judgments about God without Jesus in view, without believing in Him, our judgments of God become judgments of God. You know, it's interesting here that we're told not to love God, but to believe in Him. I don't think that uh, knowing from the rest of the Gospel of John, knowing 
the writing as well as I do and as you do too. It's not that we should never think or talk about loving God. But this is the first order of business. Love for God follows believing in Him. Jesus is the one who changes us. And it has to begin by believing in Him. Anselm of Canterbury, I think, helps us to understand the importance and the first place and always first place of starting with belief in Him. When he writes, I believe that I might understand. As I said a moment ago, believes is not just a head thing, but a heart thing. Authentic belief turns you into a disciple, me into a disciple. When we're not believing in him, we're believing in something else. This is a dynamic, not a one-time, many-time thing it is. It's not just one breath. It's many breaths. Can you imagine trying to hold your breath and be a living, thriving being? In Jesus Christ, we are to be believing in Him in such a way that His life is lived through us. And it is that life that causes us to value what we gain from God and His gift in Christmas. 1 John 5 and 11 and 12 says, This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I did my Ph.D. emphasis in the Gospel and the letters of John. The word life is used interchangeably. The, just the word life bears, if you will, what I think for our minds is the greater meaning of the words eternal life. But there's more than I think we even think of when we think of eternal life. Sometimes I have in the past thought of eternal life as something I've been bequeathed, an object that I can cherish, something that I might put in a safety deposit box, a spiritual safekeeping. But in the Gospel of John and his letters, in other words, when John is trying to convey these great truths about what God has done in his Son, Jesus Christ, life is bigger than that, and it's not an object, it's a person. 
It's Jesus Christ. Look at the beginning of the Gospel of John, the first 18 verses, and you'll understand why it's in Jesus that we meet God. It's in Jesus that our questions are answered. It's in Jesus that the things that God wants you to know about him are met and found. It's in Jesus that you experience his love. And it's in Jesus that you find his life. The very end of the first 18 verses ends with this, these words. Nobody, no one has ever seen God, but he, referring to Jesus, he has made him known. Now this is the end, but the beginning begins with Jesus in eternal relationship with the Father. He's not even called Jesus. He's called the Logos, which was a word at the time which would ring every bell in the literary, philosophical, and religious world who understood any Greek because Logos was just that big and important word. And we're told that in the very beginning, all things that were made, and nothing that was made was not made apart from Jesus Christ. And then we come to that important word in verse 4, in him was life. And it immediately dawns on you that the life that created it all is the life that resides in him. And you're told, he became the light of men. That is the life that is ours in Jesus Christ. But it's not something that you can hold on to apart from him. It is in him. And it is in him that you and I must believe to live, to thrive, to know God, to experience his love, to fathom the depths of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We who are in Christ are to be in him. The word for life and eternal life is bigger than what we even think of when we think of the existence of this creation. It is God in his life. And it is poured out in his spirit. And we become a part of that in him. Back when I had walked away from everything, the Beatles were the band. I love the Beatles. Not in the sense of girls fainting, 
They, they were a great band, great musicians, great lyric writers. I, the muse smiled on them. John Lennon, an important member of that band, chief writer, uh, maybe a greater genius in many ways, next to John than even George and uh, Ringo, he wrote a song called Imagine that truly captured my imagination at the time. You may not be able to recall all the lyrics, And I have to say, I'm disappointed by the song as I think of it today because it raises the aspirations of people. And yet when it raised mine, it only ended in disappointment. Not because the song wasn't magical or imagined a happy and beautiful world in which we could all live as one. But that world does not exist. That was the rude awakening for me. That world does not exist, and it never will of its own vitality and strength. I dreamed the world could become one, and it really did end in a nightmare. But here's the interesting thing. John Lennon had a son named Julian. And even though he wrote those words, you would think that if anyone could aspire to that love and peace that that song is iconic for, it would be John Lennon. But Julian wrote, Dad could talk about peace and love out loud to the world, but he could never show it to the people who supposedly meant the most to him. His wife and son. Just let that sink in for a minute. He continues, and I quote, How can you talk about peace and love and have a family in bits and pieces? No communication, adultery, and divorce. You can't do it. Not if you're being true and honest with yourself. End quote. And here's the stunning thing. We're all John Lennons. We're all John Lennons. Except when we're believing in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying, I, don't misunderstand me. I am calling us to believing in Him more than we do, more often than we do, with a dependence that truly depends on Him for life. In 1 John 4, 9, and 10, these are the words... This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
This is love. He continues, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so it is, we believe in the son to know God and God's love and new life. I told you, uh, I memorized John 3.16 as a child. I read the other day that a child memorized it in the King James Version. And in the King James Version, it reads, instead of one and only son, it reads, only begotten son. If you ever want me to explain why there's that difference, I'd be happy to do that. But it reads, only, uh, it reads, only begot or only begotten son but the little five-year-old that was trying to memorize it and to quote it said only forgotten son in this bread and cup we remember we remember his body broken given for us and we remember in this cup the new covenant. Let me pray for us. Father, even as we come now to your table, to your supper, we respond to your love, your great love, and your new life in him. And we praise you and thank you. And we celebrate it. We know joy. We know joy because of the bread and the cup. Thank you. And may we thank you each and every day, every moment of every day, as we believe in him for our life and your great love. In his name, matchless name, we pray. Amen.